We invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the New Testament letter of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 2 today as we continue our time in this series. And as you can see, this morning we are going to be uh, participating in communion together, the Lord's Supper together as a faith family. And so as a result of that, we do not have our treehouse, our children's worship time uh, for the duration of the service. Children are invited to remain right here and parents, grandparents, others. We want to use this as a teaching opportunity uh, to celebrate Jesus and his work, his completed work for us. And let me also say, church family, thank you so much for your your patience and your cooperation again and again, week after week, month after month throughout this challenging uh, pandemic season. And so we have been strongly encouraging folks to wear masks during our gathering for several weeks once again uh, lately. But I want you to know that we're not discouraging that now. Uh, we, we, we encourage you to do so if that's what you choose to do. But at this time, with numbers being a bit less, those are those masks we're, we're going to say are optional at this time as we gather. But even so, let's let's honor one another uh, by leaving space unless we we know folks are are welcoming close contact. We want to honor one another and love one another during the challenging time in which we live. Well, our Honduras mission team uh, has been away for a week and. Uh, has uh, I have not heard from them, but I think they returned home yesterday safely. I'll sort of say that. What if? What if they're not? They are. I'm getting the, I'm getting the head nod from Kevin in the back, so they are home. We're grateful for that. But uh, they've been a, a, away for a time and uh, doing a number of, of ministries and opportunities. And, and I'm sure some will be with us probably in our late gathering this morning. But you know, with all the difficulties uh, and differences that they faced on a trip like that, cultural barriers, language barriers, different climate, different socioeconomic uh, situation. I wonder how in the world they're able to partner with people, and this would be true of any cross-cultural mission team, how, how are they able to partner with people in remote parts of the world to, to pull teeth, right, and to share Christ and to meet physical needs uh, and to provide medicine? And I, I've got a suspicion, in fact, I think it's more than a suspicion, I think it's, it's a hunch that, that they were able to come together with Lead missionaries, Chris and Denise Williams, and with the rest of their team from the great uh, state of Arkansas, and with the folks from the Centro Medico Clinic and Iglesia Batista there in Guaymaca, Honduras, as well as other surrounding village churches. They were able to come together with all these folks under the umbrella of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were able to come together with, with people from Different backgrounds, different situations, different experiences, even different primary languages under the umbrella of the gospel. I'm willing to bet that as sinners saved by the grace of God, those barriers which naturally tend to separate were rather quickly overshadowed by a shared identity and a shared mission from Christ given to His church. You see, the cross brings us together in Christ. The cross brings us together in Christ. That's the message of today's text. And so as we read it, we're going to read it momentarily. As we read it, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and following, listen for that horizontal dimension of unity in Jesus Christ. 
So the first half of this chapter, the first half of Ephesians 2, which we have dealt with over the last two Sundays, is vertical, primarily vertical in nature. But the primary orientation of today's text, of the second half of the chapter, is horizontal, declaring that Christ's death not only unites believers to Him, but also to one another. The cross brings us together in Christ. Let's hear from God's Word. Ephesians chapter 2, as you find your place there, would you join me standing for the reading of God's Word? Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Would you pause with me for prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. Guide us now. By your spirit, in understanding your word and applying it to our lives as your people, lead us now for your glory. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may have noticed this in the reading of our text. Our text ends on a high note. A picture of, of who we are as God's people saved by his grace and under the ongoing construction of his constant care. It's a high note. But this particular stanza of Ephesians doesn't begin by striking such a high note. No, he Paul begins here in verse 11 like he did in chapter 2, verse 1, quickly painting a word picture of the dark depths from which his Gentile readers have come. And by the way, what he says of them could be said of us. You who are Gentiles by birth, verse 11, includes us. He's talking about us. The Greek word is ethne, sometimes translated nations, and at other times in the Scriptures, translated pagans, uh, the former suggesting ethnicity, and the latter focusing on religion, non-Jews. That's the point. Non-Jews by birth and by practice, resulting in religious, 
cultural and racial hostilities. And our English translations tame this text just a bit, saying the Gentiles were called uncircumcised by the Jews, but the text literally says they were called foreskin. A derogatory racial slur intended to shame these non-Jews and highlight their position as outsiders, excluded from the special status that Abraham's offspring enjoyed as God's chosen people. Now, why does that matter? Well, as outsiders, they had theological disadvantages. I don't think we often think of it in that way. But they did. Certainly, before the coming of Christ, they had theological disadvantages succinctly stated by Paul in verse 12. At least five of them. One, separate from Christ. They were separate from Christ. Number two, they were excluded from citizenship in Israel. Number three, they were foreigners to the covenants. Number four, without God. And number five, without hope for. And number five, without God in the world. With the exception of this last item, these disadvantages were directly tied to their lack of access to God's Word. Lack of access to the Scriptures. Lack of knowledge of the Scriptures. You see, unlike the Israelites who were given Scripture recounting God's expectations, His spiritual provisions, His guidance and the promises of the coming Messiah, the Gentiles were left on their own in the sad state of little hope or guidance. They were, as Paul says, without hope and without God in the world until Christ Jesus stepped in to save them. Church, to save us. Yes, bringing us into right relationship with with God, but also grafting us into the company of all of God's people. Friends, there is only one unified people of God. There's only one unified people of God, and we're now a part of it. One unified people of God. That's what Paul's driving home in verses 11 and following. The camps of people who were formerly separated, right, divided, and at seemingly unsurpassable odds with one another, have now been united together by the blood of Jesus. You were formerly separate, excluded, foreigners, without hope and without God. But verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He says, for he himself, Christ himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. There was those of us once separate from Christ have been placed in Christ. Through the gospel, outsiders are now insiders together with all of the redeemed for Christ is our peace, making us one and destroying the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. What barrier? When Paul wrote this, there was a literal Barrier. There was a literal wall on the temple grounds that excluded Gentiles from entering, warning them that if they crossed that partition, they might die. We've got a couple images on the screen of the temple there in New Testament times, and that's challenging to see, but that's the whole temple complex there with the large structure there in the center being the actual building 
housing the most holy place in the holy place. But there where that arrow is, there's a, a short little wall, a partition that divides the area that was reserved for Israelites from those from the courtyard that the Gentiles could enter. There was a court of the Gentiles. Here is a dividing partition. Yeah, next picture, next slide. You can see it a little closer there. And that arrow, that black line on the edge of the picture is pointing to the Gentiles' courtyard, where the courtyard of the Gentiles ends. Gentiles not allowed to to cross that particular barrier, that dividing line. They could not go any further, for they were outsiders. Perhaps Paul had this literal wall in mind, but, but more likely he's referring to the barrier of the Mosaic law that separated Jews from Gentiles and was often misapplied by Jews, heightening hostility, depriving Gentiles of access to God through the Scriptures. And so what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that this barrier, this dividing wall, has been torn down by Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law, who took our condemnation, who unites all, Jew and Gentile alike, by faith to himself. The former divisions are overcome at the cross. The previous separation is abolished by Jesus Christ. And so Paul would say it this way in Galatians chapter 3. He'd say there's, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you, you are all one in Christ Jesus. He would say the same thing to, in his letter to the Colossians, saying here there is no Jew or Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Brought together in Christ. Barriers destroyed in Jesus Christ. I got a call one day this past week from a lovely lady who's part of my life, my my wife, and she said, "Um, there's a lizard in the house. And we're doing some renovation work in our new house and so there's there's some gaps in the wall apparently there's some place where the sheet rock doesn't quite go all the way over and covered up like it once was by the mantle and so we're supposed and maybe that's where mr lizard came in and so she's talking to me and says it's I, what do i do it's running around and next thing i know it goes she says it goes back in the wall and it disappears so we've got a lizard in the house okay we'll get another call then the next day uh the lizard is sunbathing on the carpet in our living room. And I wrote this down because I don't want to mess this up. It looks like a miniature alligator. It's picking up its, its tail. It's picking up its tail on the carpet. I bet it's pooping. Yep, it did. It just pooped on the carpet. You better come home and take care of this. And so I get home and I catch the little alligator and what do you know? This is, this is what he is. This is, this is the culprit. One of those blue tailed things. Look it up. It's a five lined skink. And so catch this little guy and release him back outside. But you know, the skink doesn't belong in our house, right? She was right to be really upset about this. She didn't want this thing in her house. I didn't want it in the house either. It was a pretty cool thing, but it not, not to be in the house. It didn't belong in our house. It's not one of us. Well, we're not going to feed it. Right? We're not going to clothe it. We're not going to give it a bedroom to call its own. We're not going to invite it to the table for family devotionals. He's not one of us. 
But you know what? If you're, if you're a sinner turning to Jesus, if you've recognized your sin and, and seen your need for a Savior and you've turned to Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're Latino or Canadian, African or Asian, European or Caucasian or some beautiful mixture of all of the above. I, I don't care. It doesn't matter if you're young or old or rich or poor, Native American or African American, male or female. This is your place. These are your people. For Christ Jesus himself has made us one and has destroyed every barrier, every dividing wall that formerly came so naturally before God saved us at the cross of Jesus Christ. Friends, the cross brings us together in Jesus Christ. You see, I don't don't think there's going to be a Hispanic church in heaven. I don't think there's going to be a Korean church church in heaven. Come to think of it, I don't think there's going to be a Caucasian church or an African-American one in heaven. I don't think there's going to be an option between attending the Pentecostal service or the more liturgical group. Not a service for those who prefer traditional music and another for modern hymns and still another for Christian rock. No, that's not what John saw. What did John see? John said, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. He says they were holding, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There's only one unified people of God, crying out to God in one loud voice, in a loud voice. But one day, Meadowbrook, there's coming a day when it will not just be true theologically or positionally, but it will also be true practically when we will join the great multitude from every ethne, crying out in one voice of praise to our God who saves, to the Christ who gives us peace. Jesus gives us peace with God. He gives us peace with God. Yes, you see, the reason formerly divided peoples, Jews and Gentiles, blacks and whites, Democrats and Republicans, Yankees and Southerners, Tigers or Tide, the reason that formerly divided people stand together in unity, experiencing peace in the place of past hostility, resides at Calvary. Jesus gives us peace with God through the cross. He does so through the cross. Paul says, Jews and Gentiles who follow Jesus are now one, both reconciled to God, verse 16, through the cross. In other words, it's only through the cross that we have peace with God and peace with one another. Jesus gives us peace with God through the cross for every kind of person, for every single person kind of person, whatever classifications and distinctions that we want to highlight and harp on for every kind of person in the gospel, God has united vastly different and dividing peoples to one another, but also to himself. Verse 17, Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. Meaning those who were once cut off with no access, without hope and without God, as well as those who had been told God's stories, who had received his written commands and who knew of his promises in Christ, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, boys, girls, young, old, rich, poor, black, white, CEOs, painters, contractors, doctors and custodians find forgiveness and new life. The promise is for you. 
Acts verse 2, verse 39, the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Church, Jesus gives us peace with God through the cross for every kind of person, providing permanent access. Permanent access. Permanent access to God. Formerly excluded by our sin, but now welcomed by His blood. For through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the gospel that in Jesus, God has rescued us. He has delivered us. He has extended complete and permanent forgiveness of sins and the corresponding reconciliation of sinners to himself so that, so that we might know and be right with him. And so sinners in need of a Savior, hearers of this good news today, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Receive the gift of God's Forgiveness of sins by His grace through faith in Him. Be reconciled to God. Receive the gospel of grace. Receive the gift. Receive Christ's provision for you, turning from the rule of sin and trusting in Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Hear the invitation. Hear the invitation of God through the proclamation of His people. Second Corinthians chapter 5. We implore you on, Christ, on, on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. We plead with you. We implore you. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. He takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. He does so for all who will receive it. So be reconciled to God by trusting Christ. And then church, then believers participate in the ministry of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God and participate in the ministry of reconciliation as recipients of Christ's peace. Christ calls us to share news, the good news of his peace because Many, many, many remain where we once were. Separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, foreigners to the covenants, without hope and without God. Verse 12, but God invites us to tell them about the prince of all peace, to show them Jesus and to give them a message of hope in him. He is committed to us the message of reconciliation We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is a ministry that he has given to us. See, there's only one unified people of God. Jesus gives us peace with God, peace with one another and peace with God. And God continues to mold his people together in Christ. He continues to work in and among his people, molding his people together in Jesus Christ. The cross brings us together in Christ. And once you've been brought together, God's work in us has only just begun. You see, not only do both Jews and Gentiles have access to God, but through Jesus, Paul says, they are, verse 19, full members of his household. 
Full members of God's household. Using an, an architectural metaphor, the metaphor of construction, uh, Paul describes just how close these two opposing groups now are to one another. Fitted together, he says, like individual building blocks of God's temple. Of course, in all of this, he's not really talking about a building. He's talking about a people. The people of God rescued through the gospel and now placed in the very presence of the Most High God. Verse 22, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The cross brings us together in Christ. And God continues to work. In and among his people, bringing them together to mold his people together in Jesus Christ. This is God's work. The work that he has done is doing and will accomplish, will continue to accomplish in Christ Jesus, the chief cornerstone who guides the whole building process, who stabilizes the whole structure and who reigns over it from heaven's throne together in Christ. Church, that's the position we have. And that's what the Lord desires us to be. And so this morning, I want us to close out our time echoing the heart of Christ's prayer for his disciples. Crying out to the Father to make us one. Oh God, make us one. God, make your people one. Make us one in Jesus Christ. And so would you pause with me as we transition this morning and pray that prayer to the Lord, asking God to make His people one in Jesus Christ. Let's bow together in the spirit of that prayer. Oh God, we thank You for being a God who unites people with with external differences. Lord, a, a God who unites people with former separations and barriers together To the cross of Calvary. God, you are the God of the nations. You're the Lord of all nations. The Lord of the young and the old, the rich and the poor. You're the Lord of black and white and Asian and African and South American. Lord, you are the God over all. And so, Father, we pray that you would work to make your people one. Father, that you would lead us to stand together in unity. And to love you deeply. Oh, God, to trust you fully. Lord, make us one. Make us one for for your glory as a testament to your grace. Father, make us one as a light of your gospel. Lord, make us one. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.